Over the past year, we've leveraged Vistaprint services to help us on our mission to inspire entrepreneurs of color. They've helped us print stickers, t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and even snapback hats. Yes, they print just about everything. My point is, they print a lot more than just business cards. So as you look for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. The printabilities are endless at vistaprint.com. We like didn't have any, any money. Mm. Like putting everything on credit cards. Mm. We had no money to do a build out. Son's mom thankfully helped us with some money and her dad helped us with some money. I had some, but not a lot. My mom helped a little bit. And then I just like maxed out like four credit cards. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we just like, I mean, on a shoestring budget, we like got the plans through and approved. Mm -hmm. And then that's when it was like, oh shoot, yeah, we gotta do this. We gotta do this. This is the Claim of Stories podcast, a show about creatives and entrepreneurs of color and how they were able to build their own tables by turning their hobbies, side hustles, and ideas into thriving small businesses. I'm Bima, and on today's show, we talk to chef and restaurant owner Peter Cho. Peter and his family immigrated from Seoul, Korea to Eugene, Oregon when he was just seven years old. Adjusting to school in rural Oregon was hard for him, especially in the first grade. As Peter got older and went to high school, he leaned on his older brother Marshall for support and guidance. And when Marshall moved to New York, Peter wasn't far behind. During his trips to visit, it was an eye-opening experience even rediscovering his Korean heritage through eating food around the city. Only a year after 9-11, Peter moved to New York full-time and worked odd jobs in a flat with a cast of characters. One of his many jobs was working the first Whole Foods in the city and delivering food to customers' doorsteps. This experience would spark a deep interest in food and culinary arts. While en route to apply for culinary school at a hefty price tag, Peter's friend suggested that he just learn on the job. So he walked into the Spotted Pig and asked for just that. He started at the bottom, and for 10 years, Peter worked on the craft of cooking. As Peter ascended in his professional life, he'd meet his wife's son, who would open his eyes to more of the richness of Korean culture and food. After 13 years in New York, he'd move back across the country to Portland, Oregon, to be closer to family. In our story ahead, Peter recalls what it was like arriving to the state of Oregon from Korea. So my mom is the oldest of seven. Okay. And all her siblings are still there. And then my dad's family is a family that moved here. That moved here. Yeah. And so it was my dad. Uh, he has an older sister, younger brother, uh, another younger sister. And then it was my aunt who first moved mm. and their family. And she married a, you know. She got married. She like got married. a GI. Yeah. yeah. And then moved to uh, Eugene. They moved to Eugene. Yeah, Eugene, Oregon. Do you know, like, why they picked that? Was he stationed there or something? That's his family's home. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so they came back, and he, he was a CPA and, and had a CPA. What do you call CPA? Uh, uh, what do you CPA call? practice, <laughs> a business, yeah, or yeah, firm? Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, firm, yeah. And so that's uh, how we ended up in Springfield. Hmm. And so then your dad and mom kind of followed them out to Yeah, Oregon. so it was, I mean, it was a long process, and over several years, you know, they were able to move. And then what happened was, so my great uncle, John Greger, uh, and my great aunt were in Eugene. They had gotten some other family there. And then uh, they had an apartment complex that mm-hmm. they owned. And uh, you just need a sort of a manager yeah. on, on site. And so that's the job that my dad got. And so, yeah, uh, the whole idea of like working from home and living where you work was actually kind of started all there, that. Was your I suppose, life. yeah, that was that was <laughs> our life. Yeah, so tiny family of five in this like tiny little two bedroom apartment in Springfield, Oregon. 
Wow, spring. Yeah, humble beginnings. Yeah. The uh, the city behind the Simpsons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Finally, I, wasn't it just like five years ago that they like, I feel like actually no put it that. out there? <laughs> I don't know why they kept it in their pocket. It was a little, you know, a yeah. little Easter egg, a little, you know, <laughs> yeah. secret no one knew about. <laughs> what do you? So this was like you moved there, probably like eighty five, mm -hmm. eighty four, eighty five, and you go and. You get into school. Mm -hmm. What's that like? Well, okay, so I only, I don't remember this, but apparently my first day, the entire day, I had my head down on my desk and just- Because you didn't just, want to go. I didn't want to go, I guess, yeah. A classmate of mine who was in that class reminded of me of that when we later met down the road yeah. in high school. And he's like, never I was watching. in your first grade class. I remember your first day and you basically had your head in your desk. Huh. But even that was obviously a traumatic experience. Yeah. And like, you know, the story is that like my first school lunch that I had, it was like, I don't even remember what it was, but I didn't do well with it. And yeah. I puked and they like- You puked? <laughs> yeah, I puked. And <laughs> the, maybe it was like the second day or whatever, but I puked and I had to get picked up. My parents had to come get me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. You sound like your whole body was rejecting this experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. How was it for your siblings? I think they fared better. Yeah. I would imagine, I mean, like, okay, so Elliot is seven, mm -hmm. you know, Frankie is five. Um, and just imagining Elliot going to a foreign country and like, you know, he's just, not that he's like figuring himself out, but you know, it's, at seven years old, you like kind of think you know what you're, what's you going think on you know a and then bit. everything gets, gets Turn upside uh, turned upside down. It's pretty, it's gotta be pretty traumatic. I have to imagine. So, I, I mean, I think about that now, like if I just like tomorrow, my whole life was different from what we're doing now. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like this, yeah. <laughs> right? You just don't know. And so as that, I think about that, school's kind of weird. What's Springfield like? Like you're, I gotta imagine, yes, you have your family. Yes, your uncle owns an apartment complex, but is there a big Asian American community? Is there a Korean community there? There was a small community of Koreans and there was a small church that our family attended in Eugene, but mm -hmm. like in Springfield, there really wasn't. Um, my brother and I were probably the only Koreans, like from, you know, K through 12. Yeah, there was a small, you know, like maybe like a Vietnamese community that was there. And so mm -hmm. there were a few Asians, but not a lot. It was, you know, mostly white. And... How'd you deal with that in high school, right? It's you and your brother and like you're in a high school that's, yeah, you know, all white kids. Yeah. How do you start to like assimilate to like, I mean, I also feel like I, I fell into a lot of like the middle child syndrome stuff. Like my brother would clearly excelled throughout his uh, high school years. He was always really good at sports. He was on varsity basketball and tennis. And so I, I just, you know, I spent most of my life just sort of following in his footsteps. I get, I suppose I, I still did up to moving to New York. <laughs> um, but yeah, just kind of following him around and like hanging out with his friends. I didn't really have a lot of friends of my own. Socially awkward, I'm, I'm sure. We um, are still, still, still. <laughs> you know, we've been in stuck certain, inside for two years. Yeah, I think well. certain situations for sure. But yeah, so he was always good at sports, and so I kind of would, you know, follow along and play, and you know, like we would play tennis together, and he played a lot of basketball, and he's a basketball coach now, so that's sort of been his life. But yeah, I mean, I think it was a pretty like normal upbringing. I just, I think back to my childhood, we live across a big park and we would literally be gone until it's sundown. <laughs> you know, like my parents didn't know yeah. anything that we were doing, they didn't know but we were in the food. park. We were in the park for hours and hours until it got dark. Yeah. And then we would come home and eat and then like maybe even leave again. But yeah, there were times like I just remember just leaving the house and being gone all day, and there's no way for them to know where the hell I was. You don't have any yeah. GPS. There's no yeah, phone. There's no there's phone. No there's no, yeah. <laughs> They're just like, come home for the lights go down. Yeah. Right. I don't know that they could have even helped it. We were just gone. Yeah. You just wanted to be out. Yeah. I get it. I get it. Speaking of your brother, right? So it sounds like your brother was a big, has had, continues to have a big, you know, impact on your life. Um, and then he ended up moving to New York. Right, he was doing Teach for America yep. at, at one point. And you started to visit him yeah. quite frequently. And you were making plans to move to New York to be out there with him or because you wanted to, you had a plan no, to do I, something? No, I didn't have a plan. 
So I was at U of O. So after high school, U of O, it was going into my fifth year. I was, I was just a bad student. I was a fine arts major and there was like a small like animation department, computer graphics stuff. And I was barely doing that and barely like passing. And uh, yeah, it was my summer before my fifth year, I went and visited uh, Marshall while he was in New York. And he like, you know, we, we did the thing, the broke tourist thing and, <laughs> and just, you know, experienced New York in a way that it was eye-opening. It was definitely, you know, growing up in Springfield, not having yeah, to travel yeah, there's much. There's a different aspect of culture. I mean, it's a, a different lot of layers. world. Yeah. yeah. You're like, this is America? Yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt. Wow. I was like, wow, this is where I want to be. What do you remember like that distinctly stuck out to you on some of those visits? Had it been food at that point or was it just more so things like different people and different music, how people dress? I don't know. What, like, what were some of those things that might have stuck out? So uh, he was living in Harlem at the time mm. and that was just amazing just to be there and just, just seeing a d- totally different world. Yeah. And then just, you know, we would go down to Chinatown and go to K-Town, yeah. like a real K-Town. Like I didn't experience Korean Never food at all that. growing up in, in Eugene and Springfield. Really? Not even not even from at, at home? Well, my, my, my mom's cooking mostly, okay. right? Yeah. So it was really my mom's cooking and like there was like one Korean restaurant maybe that we would go to. But, and I didn't really come up to Portland much and there really wasn't much of a Korean like restaurant scene here either. And so, like, rediscovering Korean food through K-Town in, in Manhattan and going to, like, Fort Lee and, we would, you know, he, like, took us all around. I mean, man, that was, that was mind-blowing. That was it was awesome. mind-blowing. And, yeah. and, and I needed to come back. And so I was also just kind of effing off of school and, and wasn't really in a hurry to graduate. And I had lots of friends and we all lived in a house together. And so, like, I was just... You and then. <laughs> and then I, I came back and I was like, okay, I got to finish up and get out of here. Hmm. And New York was the, and New York the only, was, yeah. yeah. And now that was also around the time that 9-11 yeah. happened. So yeah. 9-11 happens and it doesn't change your plan at all? No, no, 9-11 happens and I still was very determined to go. And uh, it was like February, the following February that I've, I was able to finish school that fall. And, wow. What did yeah. your parents think? Well, my brother was already there, you know, so he like paved the way and they were like, okay, well, you know, also like my senior year throughout college, I was like working at this tennis shop and I was like, oh, I'm just going to keep working at this tennis shop and make money. Like I worked through all of college. I really probably worked more than I should have been Mm -hmm. concentrating and finishing school. But yeah, they were, they were happy for me to go and try and figure it out. And, And even through college and up until like the first couple of years in New York, I really didn't know about like cooking in restaurants, being a chef, mm. restaurant scene, food scene. That wasn't any, your life. Any of that. I had no huh. idea. I'd never been to a really nice yeah. restaurant ever. So, and even those first years in New York, we just, we never went to a nice place. <laughs> Couldn't afford to. Yeah. Broke. What were, what was most of your meals? Were like street food or? Yeah, street food. Marshall would, you know, he would take us out to food in K-Town and stuff. But yeah, we would like go on a weekly, weekly like grocery trip to Chinatown and, and, and pick up groceries for the week and cook. Just cooking for me and Marshall or the three of us and he would cook and I would always be like, what's going on? What are you yeah. doing? Like, what's, what's for dinner? <laughs> um, but really it was the house that we lived in that, that Tell me about the house. And this is in Harlem. This is in Harlem. So okay. it was on, on 118th in Lenox. It was a four-story brownstone. And on the ground floor, there was like a couple. There was another couple on the, the basement floor. And then there was us, um, three of us on one floor. And then a fourth floor of three women. Okay. And we all, they all, it was like a church community. And Marshall had been connected with, and that's how he got that flat. And um, every Sunday would be Sunday dinners. Oh, yeah. And so we would cook. Everybody would take turns cooking for everybody else. Hmm. So I think when, you know, cooking for myself or my brother, you know, a couple people is pretty easy. Like, there's not much to it. But then you cook for 12 people and oh, it, it becomes a whole changed. thing. Yeah. <laughs> it becomes a whole thing. And I would stay up late nights watching you know, Food Network and the Stan and Stir shows and like lots of Jamie Oliver TV shows and stuff like that. 
And like, I got into it. I got huh. into it a lot. Did um, you think anything more of it other than just like, I'm enjoying doing this and I love this kind of community that I'm in? Well, I just, I think it's, it was good for me to not know what the next step is. Uh. So I was just doing it. And then like uh, our roommate, David, he was like, oh, you know, there's this like Whole Foods that just opened in Chelsea. Like it's like a, you know, a really great, like, and I think that was the first Whole Foods Whole in New Foods York. Yeah. And, you know, it was, they were all about organic produce mm. and, you know, all this stuff. And so he was going there and I was like, oh, cool. I'll just like get a job, like, you know, as a checkout. That's how you pay the whatever, bills, just make some money. Yeah. Any, any old job. Yeah. And I got that job and I got into food a little bit, seeing all the people working in the produce, meat section, fish section. Mm-hmm. And then the coolest part of that job was there was a delivery service. So people would do their grocery shopping yeah. and then they would buy like two cases of like water or sparkling water or something. <laughs> and they would not want to take it up yeah, to their own no, four floor right. walk up. <laughs> and so you buy it and you chuck it on a shelf and then you pay a delivery service through the restaurant to go deliver it. Huh. But what was cool about it was it wasn't just like the the neighborhood. There was like a refrigerated van and you could drive. Oh, so you can get to go learn other areas, right? That you wouldn't go to otherwise. Yeah, so I spent like those first couple of years in New York mm-hmm. driving a 15 passenger van that was like a refrigerated van. <laughs> we would fold out these maps. You know, we didn't have like a GPS thing. <laughs> you were like literally using maps? From 99th to Battery Park, we would drive all over town. It would be like me, another guy. He would have all the slips, all the groceries in there. Yeah. And then we'd just like drive around with like walkie talkies between the two vans, <laughs> smoking cigarettes, like... I don't know. It was a wild time. There would be like tips. And so at the end of the night, we would like get all these tips and then go to the bar down the street. <laughs> it was a hilarious time. It was also like in Chelsea. And so there was like a bunch of new NYU kids that would mm-hmm. like also do that job. And they were doing fun, creative stuff at school. And so we would go see them doing their thing. Yeah. And yeah, it was a wild time. I did that for like two years. It was really hilarious and fun (laughs) so at some point in this right you're really getting into all aspects of food and you decide you're going to go apply to the french culinary institute yeah right and so i believe you're like the story is you're on your way to downtown soho to enroll and you stop by a friend's place in west village yeah yeah and a friend tells you something well she's like okay i'm explaining that it's you know 35 grand for a nine-month program 35 grand for nine months. Yeah, I'm sure it's way more now. But yeah, I was still paying my loans off from going to U of O. And uh, yeah, she was like, why don't you just go and try and get a job? Like, go and be a dishwasher or something. I don't know. But I have gotten this advice, and I would give this advice to to other people who are trying to get into it. Because I think it's just getting your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. But that seed had been planted and I was, I was wanting to do that, but kind of scared to do it. But it just happened to be that I was like on the way from, you know, having seen her, it was like early in the afternoon to the subway station. And I like walked by the spotted pig and there's like, you know, it's like all this beautiful greenery in the front looks tiny. It Mm -hmm. is, it was, it was tiny, cute little like pig statue in the front. And yeah, I just like something drew me and I went in and I, I asked the host if I can talk to the chef about getting a job or anybody really. I don't think <laughs> I even knew that I needed to like ask for the chef. But I was like, oh, you it was know, chef I'm just April looking for a Bloomfield, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, I think I'll just do whatever. Do you have anything? <laughs> <laughs> what did you end up doing? Like what, what was the job you ended up, um, they had available? Uh, boy. So in like professional restaurants, there's like, uh, well, it's like a French term. It's comi. It's basically like you're at the bottom of the rung. You're, okay. you're there to do whatever. Mm. It was a small kitchen, like four people in the in the restaurant. Her April there, and yeah, I was. So there was like a basement kitchen too. Most New York restaurants have basement kitchens, and so my job was to just like run around, like get stuff, mise en place, backups from downstairs. Um, their signature dish was like this burger with Roquefort cheese, but also shoestring fries. And so like buckets, 22 quart buckets um, full of water and shoestring fries that have been mandolin into there. And I would like have to walk through the kitchen and out the restaurant and then down the basement and then like carry these big heavy 
buckets of water and shoestring fries. That was my job for that the first like job. three months, running around, wow. putting putting plates away and helping yeah. the dishwasher. And were you content with it? For it was new. I had no idea. Yeah, no idea what, what else was to going expect. On. Yeah. I was just in a restaurant and working and not paying money for culinary school. <laughs> and so I was super happy. I don't think anybody even knew my, I don't know, I don't think they even knew my last name for a long time. I didn't get my first check for like six weeks or something. Oh like I didn't God. get put in pro payroll properly. There yeah. was like all kinds of weird stuff, but I was like, I don't know, I guess this is how, here, it, how it is. Yeah. Like they must know what they're doing. I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just gonna go along with this. How long did you go along with it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I worked for April for 10 years, <laughs> so I went along with it for a while. What was that experience, right? So you're there for 10 years, so you're 10 years, a New York restaurant. This is as quintessential as a restaurant experience is probably going to get. What was that like? You literally went from the bottom of the bottom, yeah. and you learned so much that I'm sure you use today. Yeah. yeah. I just tried to absorb it all. It helped that I didn't know what to expect, and I think... You know, that just pushed me to limits that I didn't know were there. Mm. And, you know, thinking back on my experience, um, April was really good about doing that too, which is like basically pushing everybody to all of their limits. Mm. <laughs> really like just holding everybody off the edge of a cliff, but with like little little thread, <laughs> barely keeping him on, you know? Yeah. And that's just a level that, you know, restaurants like that, especially lots of like, you know, attention mm -hmm. from media or whatever it may be. And she was like clearly in the beginning of her rise. Right. But yeah, it was a push, but mm -hmm. I never knew what the limits were. And so, yeah, I would always push, uh, if it was bad one night, it would push it further another night. another night. But the experience itself, yeah, it was obviously everything I learned about, you know, cooking and, and working in restaurants was through that experience. But thinking back on it now, I think a lot about how it was better that I didn't know what to expect or hmm. like have a grand plan of what this path would lead to. I just I just went along with what was right in front of in me the process. and was like really in the process and really just like, you know, I talk about this a lot with my brother. It's just reps, you know, hmm. like I'm just at the free throw line shooting, shooting free throws like all day long. And it's hours and hours. And, and, you know, you mentioned it briefly before, but I think I just lived two lives there. So I worked for her for 10 years and I worked for that restaurant group and kind of grew throughout. But, you know, it wasn't a 40 hour job. <laughs> I didn't have a life outside of that. It How many like, hours were you it working? It was like 70, You're 80 always hours. And I was always there. And by the time I was like sous chef, it was more. By the time I was a chef at the Breslin, it was more than that. And so I think I just got a lot of reps in during that time and just worked on technique and the craft of cooking. Mm. Then that gets applied to- It gets applied, Yeah, right. it gets but applied you have to, to like, all that other stuff. No, it's an interesting point you make. Like you have to be able to put yourself in there to practice, quote unquote, but it's like, you're in there. There's no bigger goal at this point in time. You don't need a bigger goal at this point in time. You're just trying to learn everything that you can, Yeah. right? And it's exciting because you are learning every day, you know, and you're spending those hours doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about more on the, on the personal side, right? So you meet your wife's son yeah. and um, son grew up in LA. Yeah. And uh, she, I would imagine has probably a very different Korean experience than you grew up having. How did that relationship expose you to a different side of Korean cuisine? Well, okay, so New York was a huge eye-opening experience, yep. seeing, yep. like, the food there. But um, L.A. was even, I mean, because L.A. is such a bigger Korean community, there's restaurants that specialize in certain things. And mm. so I think a lot of Korean restaurants outside of L.A., it's like you have a giant menu. It's, like, this big, and it's all full of pictures, and there's many, many pages. Um, and everybody's trying to do everything. And then I went to L.A. and realized that there's, like, these little, like, you know, categories of certain types of noodles and a place that just does Korean barbecue. There's a Korean barbecue place that just does awful. And there's like, you know, so there's like a lot more specializing in LA that I, I like got to see and learn and, and uh, experience. So, yeah, I mean, you know, she grew up with 
tons of Korean uh, family members, mm-hmm. but also just like a big Korean community and also access to a lot of this stuff. So yeah, I think that was like the next level of, of exposure to the Korean food that was just, yeah, it was eye-opening. <laughs> but you know, there's a lot of the Korean food and sort of, I think this goes back to like my childhood and growing up as an immigrant child and not being in a, in a Korean community, you just kind of want to assimilate as quickly as you can mm-hmm. and you kind of want to like, you know, you, yeah, every immigrant yeah. Uh, child has that experience of like stinking of the food that your oh, yeah. parents it's cook. In your, it's and in going your clothes to, yeah, you're cooking it's at like, home and then you show you know, up. So, and, yeah. so I rejected a lot of it. I pushed it away quite a bit um, when I was working at the Spotted Pig and, and beyond. I, I really just focused on doing anything outside of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, just being exposed to it, just rediscovering it in, in this cool way and through her lens and her family and all that stuff was really a good reintroduction to it. Yeah. It was like you're seeing it completely different way. Yeah. New eyes. But so all you, familiar still. But familiar, right? It wasn't, you know, you were just like, wow, like I kind of forgot yeah, about exactly. a lot of this. Yeah. Um, and so you would stay in New York though for about 13 years in total? 13 years total, yeah. And then you would end up moving back to Oregon after your brother had moved back to Oregon around like 2014. Mm-hmm. Why move back to Oregon? New York was New York. Yeah, um, well, uh, my mom was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. Wow, okay. That was in, towards the end of 13. And yeah, that was it really. My brother had already moved back. I think he got a job. That was when he got a job at UP to be like a something with the basketball team there. And, you know, 13 years in New York was a lot. The 10 years that I spent, like I said, was probably felt like 20 years of working. Mm -hmm. I was pretty burnt out at that point. Also having sort of worked my way out of a lot of my jobs working (laughs) for the company. Because, you know, I think what ended up happening was you just go for the next job and you keep going for the next job until you get to a point where there's no No other job. (laughs) (laughs) It's like... April's job, and I, you know, she's got that job. Got that job. <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think her job is pretty secure. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like, it was towards the end of my time uh, working for them, and and then we got the news, and yeah. and I just, we just immediately bought a ticket to come back, and I just told her I need to take some time off, mm-hmm. I'll go, you know, take care of my mom, and so we did, and we moved, and or we didn't move right away, we just went to go for that initial treatment. And there were some complications with the initial treatment, the oncology, the hospital that she went to for the first thing. There was lots of like insurance billing issues. They didn't have insurance at the time. They had a small business uh, running a little dry cleaning shop. But yeah, it was a lot of just managing that. Also just being around for her first uh, round of chemo. And then it was probably a couple months or a few weeks that we were there uh, going through that. And then we just made the decision. Unfortunately, had to sort of go along with it, <laughs> um, which, you know, she was super gracious to do. Because, you know, for me, it was like 10 years, 13 years in New York. I, I was kind of done. Yeah. She had just been there for like five, six years, maybe. Oh, wow. And so there was a lot in her career as an artist was starting to um, grow and she was getting a lot more work. And her family was there also, I think, at the time. Her brother had just moved there. So there was a lot that she still wanted to experience with New York, uh, but had to kind of pick up and move to Portland. When we come back, Peter finds a new way to work-life balance. What's up, Claim of Stories fam? If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've heard of Vistaprint, right? I mean, we've been doing a lot of incredible work together to inspire entrepreneurs of color. So we hope you're paying attention. Now, when it comes to printing things, and I mean just about anything for your business, whether it's stickers, T-shirts, tote bags, mugs, and even snapback hats, Vistaprint's got you. They print just about everything. So as you look for ways to help your small business stand out, think Vistaprint. The printabilities are endless at vistaprint.com. Hey, it's Bima. Welcome back to the Claim of Stories podcast. So it's 2014, and Peter and his family moved back to Portland as his mother battles breast cancer. During that period, he decided to take a much-needed break from his career as a chef. 
I was so burnt out. Yeah. I just took that year not working. You also probably really realized that with the you were doing a lot. And yeah. like, that time was like, wow, I just really need to be here with my family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Marshall was busy with the new job. Was a, He was traveling a lot with the basketball team and stuff. And so um, I would just live at their house and just went to treatment with her and just stayed with her and just took a break. Yeah. Took a break from working. We need breaks. Yeah. <laughs> we need breaks. Oh, yeah. So how long did your break last? It was a full year at least. Yeah. It was a full year. During that time, I was still like, you know, trying to connect with chefs that I knew here that I had met in New York or in the times that I would travel here. Mm-hmm. So I would just connect and go like maybe spend a day in their kitchen or go do a stage somewhere. Um, so I was still trying to kind of stay connected and, and meeting people. But actually what was really cool about that first year or two in Portland was that I connected with other chefs that had restaurants, but then I, I ended up connecting with a lot of other creatives. So it was through a friend of ours that has this bamboo like accessories company um, called Grove Made, uh, Ken. I connected with him because we went to college together. He was up here doing his thing, had a small business. I just like love that idea of like DIY, do your own thing, little, sh- you know, restaurant, little shop, little, everything's yeah. like so much smaller, so smaller in scale to, to New York. Yeah. That I was like, oh wow, like this is possible. Uh-huh. Like in New York, the only reality is, is like you have to raise millions of dollars yeah. and spend tons of money, and then like liquor licenses are impossible, lease negotiations impossible, space impossible, everything's impossible. <laughs> well, I mean, like New York, it's just everything's harder than it Everything. really needs to be. And to come to Portland and feel like anything is possible was really hmm. amazing. And so, did you have on your mind restaurant? I did only because I just know what I know. <laughs> I just, you know, I like, I, yeah. I try and keep my sort of, my view pretty close. Um, it's really Sun's vision <laughs> of like how Hanok ended up. But yeah, I think it served me well to not have this like broad vision of like, it, it was very like, it was very close. I didn't think too far ahead. I just wanted to do what was right in front of me. But yeah. So meeting a lot of creatives was was awesome, was awesome like yeah. interior designers, architects, like, you know, our buddy, we talk about Josh, has a, <laughs> has a uh, creative agency mm-hmm. and just like, like meeting people in worlds outside of the restaurants restaurant. yeah. was really fun. And you started from there ideating different things, right? You you would come up with some different ventures, maybe the two of you, you, you and Sam would come up with some different ideas. Um, and at one point there was like a hot dog business. Yeah, so a buddy of mine uh, was between jobs um, and we called it Stray Dogs. <laughs> we like made our own sausages yeah. and like, you know, did a couple of fun sides and a bunch of ice cream. And uh, we would do pop-ups. And this was like, you know, Portland is like the city of pop-ups. Yes. And there was a lot of people doing pop-ups around town. And there's a lot of restaurants that are closed on Sundays and Mondays. Mm-hmm. And so we would get to know people and do either collabos or we would do takeovers and we would, yeah, it was a ragtag bunch. My sister had moved back by that time. And so she was like helping out, serving. And, you know, we have a family friend, um, Hannah, who would come, Patrick, or just like this funny, yeah, ragtag bunch <laughs> of like non-restaurant people. Mm. And we would pop up in these restaurants and like, <laughs> yeah, do this like hot dog pop-up. It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, it totally fun. Probably fun coming out of like, 10 years of very hardcore restaurant, you know, career in New York, this felt like. But we did it in a way that was like no pressure. Mm. And I think that was the biggest thing. Like it was such a pressure filled experience working in New York. It was Mm -hmm. like working in a busy restaurant and then it was like a restaurant opening and then there was another opening later on. But it was like, then it's like reviewers, New York Times stars and like, you know, like Michelin stars and all this stuff was like so much pressure, right? But than to just be like, we're doing hot dogs. Just don't, <laughs> don't come at me. Don't, yeah, this don't, is like not a big deal. Yeah, these are hot dogs. Don't, these are hot dogs. We don't need we're just the, having fun. The don't, please don't review us. <laughs> we don't need star ratings. So yeah, that was the first sort of doing our first thing food-wise in Portland. And it was just fun. It was fun. And it was is that nice was like to, the takeaway you felt like? Like the, the thing that you learned out of that experience was like, Oh yeah, I do enjoy doing this. Yeah. And not, I think the other thing too is our, my job was very narrow. It was like only about the food and making sure that the food is 
done. And there was like a whole nother side of the front of the house and how it's served and presented and, and, and hospitality given. I was always sort of relegated to the kitchen and really only just focused on that. But to like have a hand in how it's presented, who, you know, I think to see the other side of that was really great. Was great. And yeah. then the business side of it too, which was like, just how are we going to make money off this thing? <laughs> like, how are we going to, because I'm not going to do all this work and not and make that, money because yeah, we yeah, didn't have like, yeah, we had some bills to pay. And thankfully we had some friends who let us use their spaces for free. And there were some arrangements we made to have like a semi, I can't say permanent. It was like a temporary space, but yeah. we were in a space for a stretch. And that was like my first, like, doing everything yeah and i just loved all of that because mm. yeah it was the part that you now had exposure to that you didn't get access to so far in this in, in your career but there's something interesting that was happening kind of while this is happening right you your son's born elliot's born oh right <laughs> I forgot about that. uh elliot's born and your wife's son is like yeah this business stuff is great but we need to figure out you know <laughs> The, the money you get side me gone of it. for 14 <laughs> hours again. Like she had already lived through that. Yeah. So she was like, I don't know about this, Peter. Yeah. Um, and she ends up like going look for a, a space or something like that, like through Craigslist. Yeah. So talk to me about this. <laughs> so yeah, Elliot is born January of 15. We had started the pop-up and we we're starting to do it, and we had found a couple spaces to do it in a in a regular basis. Um, we have the baby, and I had still had some pop-ups lined up, and so we were just doing them. And it was even like the first month, maybe. But I was gone for 12 hours, you know, 12, 14 hours. Just, it was a couple of nights a week, so I wasn't doing it every day like I used to. But she was like, you, dude, you can't be gone <laughs> She's for 14 like, hours. Ah, She's man. like, no, I'm not going to do this again. Because mm. we lived together in New York when I was opening the Breslin, and so she got to see a lot of that. I would say that was the extreme of it. Yeah. Because I don't think I had a day off for, you know, a year or something crazy. But at that time, we had this tiny little house in off of Alberta. It was like an old rickety house. And it was like a, a cold, you know, windy day. And like the shutters were like banging against the wall. And it was like midnight. Maybe I still hadn't come home from the pop-up that we were doing. And she was like, dude, fuck this. I'm out of here. Like, mm. I can't do this. Mm. She gets on Craigslist, finds this ad. We have a snapshot of what that ad looked like, mm -hmm. but it was just like these beautiful pictures of this private courtyard and then like this big open garage space. Mm. And I think immediately she saw it as like a creative space. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at everything and I go, this can be a restaurant. <laughs> you know, like I'm looking at the studio. I'm like, oh yeah, we could totally do a, a dinner here. But so she, yeah, made an arrangement to go see it. She like kind of didn't even tell me much about it. I don't think she even sent me the link, but she's like, hey, we're going to go see this place. And oh, like, that's hilarious. And we're like, I'm like, end up at this parking lot. And like, I think it's back there. So we go back there and you've experienced this. Most yeah. of the people that have come to Hanukkah have experienced this. But you're like, kind of like, is that right? Yeah, yeah. You're walking you're up. Like, you're like, like am, I am I going to the right place? And then you place? still like, you walk in and you still feel like you're in the wrong place. <laughs> but it's this like beautiful like yeah. oasis. Yeah. And it opens up to this private courtyard and super green. There's grass there. And you're like, why is there, why is there grass here? There's kids' toys all around. <laughs> but we had that amazing, like, sense of discovery mm. of the space. And, like, you know, I was like, this is amazing. Mm. But, like, how much is rent again? It's like $4,000. <laughs> 4000 like, I don't think we can afford that. Like, how are we going to do that? Yeah. She's like, I don't know either, but we're going to do it anyways. We'll wow. figure it out. We'll figure it out. And so what and so did y'all we we just That's what you decided yeah, to like start something there? Yeah, and you know Kevin, yeah. Kevin Cavanaugh. He's very much developer. like a hand, <laughs> Yeah, he's a real estate developer, has a lot of like amazing, like unique sort of creative spaces. And he's very much a handshake guy. And you know, I looked up at him and I'm like, okay, cool, handshake. And he's like, that means we're doing it. <laughs> I go, okay, okay, like, is there a lease coming? And he's like, we'll figure that out later. <laughs> Uh, what do you mean? And so we did. That's, that's like a, a classic Kevin thing. He's like, handshake. Yeah. Deal. We'll figure it out later. We'll figure it out later. Huh. And so we did. Yeah. We like signed a lease and then he helped us sort of figure out how to like do a sublease to the business. Mm -hmm. Kind of walked us through like what the steps to 
turning it into, because he, he went through a lot to, because it's a big commercial lot, right. he went through a lot to turn that area into a residential space, okay. zoning To get it coded. zoned, yeah, right. To follow code and, and to get it zoned right. And so what we were trying to do was turn it back, but mm. leave some of it. Believe so there was like, it was complicated, and he, there's an architect that he works with, and he hooked us up and kind of helped really like, I wouldn't say held our hand through it, but he kind of like went like this. <laughs> he like pushed us into it, you know? Yeah. He's yeah. like, I think you can do it. He's like, talk to Ben or Brett and they'll help they'll figure it out. out. Yeah, yeah, they'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that was another like of the first time that, you know, we just like jumped into something and, and didn't know anything about it. And yeah, kind of figured just it, figure out it out from there. Yeah. So you move into this space. Yeah. And it's part residential, part commercial. And the idea is that y'all are going to live there. Yeah. And you're going to do a pop-up, a rest, <laughs> like, yeah. what, on the, what are you going to do with the rest of the space? Well, I mean, naturally, because we were doing the pop-ups, naturally, we would just kind of bring the pop-up into the space. But, you know, at the time, it was like, you know, me and this other sh- chef buddy of ours, then do we turn this into a business where it's a partnership? Does a mm. partnership also you know, somehow get involved with the space. Like the space was, you know, that's, we wanted to have that space as like our home. Yeah. Having a home in the business together, like there's a (laughs) lot of crossover. There was a bit of like some of that unpacking to do. And um, we did a a run, we did like a month long run of like turned stray dogs into stray birds. It was like Korean fried chicken. And that's when I first started doing Korean fried chicken. chicken and and some Korean flavors. Obviously, I was doing some Korean flavors with the hot dog pop-up. But mm-hmm. um, but yeah, we did a month-long run. I think it was like you know two nights a week or something. We did it and did it in the space. And yeah, I we like didn't have any any money. Mm. Like putting everything on credit cards. Mm. We had no money to do a build out. Son's mom thankfully helped us with some money and her dad helped us with some money. I had some, but not a lot. My mom helped a little bit. And then I just like maxed out like four credit cards. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, we just like, I mean, on a shoestring budget, we like got the plans through and approved. Mm -hmm. And then that's when it was like, oh shoot. Yeah, we gotta do this. this. Yeah, Cause before then it was, you know, when like Kevin kind of pushed us through, we didn't know that we can separate the space. Mm. So when we rented it, it was an all residential space. It was like, it was all kind of connected and um, we had to put a wall there to separate the living side mm. from the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And so we worked out some plans and got it submitted. And the architect who did it has a funny story. He was like taking these plans around all the city planning. And if you know about city planning, they're generally trying to tell you no. <laughs> And they go, but they saw it, and I think he has a nice, like, baby face and seems believable. Mm. But he was like, So here's our plan. And they were like, Well, I haven't seen this before, but there's nothing in the code that says you can't. I guess you can. Clunk. Like, wow. And he just was like, Everywhere he went was surprised that they all said yes. And he came back, he's like, I don't know. I guess you can do it. it. (laughs) Here you go. Here's the approved plans. (laughs) Were you like, Hell yes, or you were like, oh my goodness, now we're really no, gonna do yeah, it. Yeah, that's, that's how I felt. Son was probably more excited, but I was like, oh, God, what do we do? I don't have any money. Like, you don't have, like, how are you gonna do the build out? Yeah. That was another, like, one of those things where we just, like, figured it out. We, like, kind of GC'd the project. We had a general contractor who helped us through that initial, like, getting the plans bidded out by people. And then we just, like, hey, do you know a plumber? And they would, like, connect us. And then he would show up and then, You'd be like, no. And then, you know, it just... It just starts just, to come together. It just starts to come together. Community, and, then like, right. and then we ended up having, like, lots of people who were like, wow, this is really cool. Like, mm. I want to do this. Mm. And a lot of people helped. Yeah. There's a lot of people who, yeah, just kind of helped yeah. along the way. It's one of those projects a bit. that you want to be a part of. Yeah. Right? It just, it means so much more than another thing. Yeah. Right? And I think that's my been my experience when I've been able to come to the restaurant. It's like... There's nothing like this. Never been to anything like this. How did you decide what the cuisine you wanted to focus on, right? Because you were like, you know, you talked a little bit about like trying Korean flavors on this and that. Yeah. But the experience of Han Oak is much more Korean. How'd you make that decision? 
So I actually had a, a really cool trip. Um, Naomi Pomeroy of Beast mm -hmm. had an opportunity to go cook for some event in Japan. Okay. And she uh, took two of her staff, but couldn't take any. Well, she had another spot to fill, but couldn't take any more from her staff because then they wouldn't be able to operate the restaurant. And she was like, "Do you want to go?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah. I'll go." <laughs> this was, this was still like, I think it was still right after Elliot was born. Anyways, I had an opportunity to go to Japan, and then thankfully they were able to sort of change the tickets around for a two-week stay in Korea on the mm. way back. And so I went to do the trip to Japan, which is like mind-blowing. I mean, that's another whole mind-blowing food experience. Because like to go to restaurants like back to back to back, where it was like, oh my God, that was the best place I've been, mm -hmm. been to ever. And then like the next day was better than that better and than then that. better than that <laughs> and then we went to like this tempura shop where like the 90 year old like grandpa is like frying tempura where his neck because this is his stance like frying tempura out of this copper pot his neck is permanently like this oh my goodness wild you're wow. like this is a level of commitment to one thing hmm. that you'll just never see. You can't get that anywhere else. And I saw all that, experienced all that, and I felt like, what am I doing? Like, I call myself a chef. Like, no, hmm. I'm a fraud. Like, hmm. there's, I'm nowhere near, nowhere near being like these people. Hmm. And then I went to Korea. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, this stuff is like doable. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not trying to like bash no, yeah. Korea against yeah. the cuisine of Japan. It was different. It was like, again, familiar, yet new, but like doable. Mm. And I was like, all this stuff is like, it speaks to me. Mm -hmm. I feel like I can interpret it in ways that's interesting for myself mainly, yeah. but for people who come to dine with us. And so like, that was the trip where I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to cook Korean food. Wow and came back. You know, my mom has always been sort of one end of the barometer, son being the other. And so there was always like, she knows more sort of the modern Korean American like palette. My mom's more traditional. And then I just had to figure out what I liked in between that to make sure that everybody was happy. And, that, and for me, I just, as long as everybody was happy with what I was making, I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I just, that's when I felt confident. Mm. That's when I felt like, you're either gonna like this or you don't. Yeah. But like, you're not trying to please. I'm, I'm not trying way. to please anybody. I'm not trying to get awards because there's none to get. Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to get starred ratings, you know. And so, yeah, it was like, it was great. It was great. It was freeing. It was like very like, yeah, I can do this. Hmm. Yeah. Where'd the name come from? So Hanok is uh, in reference to like old traditional Korean homes or architecture, even. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has to do with like the shape of the building and all that, but like where it sits in relation to the, you know, there's like mountains in the back and there's like water in the front. There's usually a big courtyard. Hmm. And my mom, we just like went through a Hanok village in Korea. Wow. And I'd known the word and the term, but you know, Korean words also are phonetically really difficult to mm. pronounce. And it just felt right. And we were living there and it seemed pretty natural. Seemed appropriate. Yeah. yeah. How did y'all come to uh, manage living and working in the same structure, especially as I imagine the you know opening a restaurant. It's a lot of hours. Yeah. How did y'all manage that? Um, I feel like everybody's sort of going through it in the past couple of years. So we we were a couple <laughs> years ahead of that. It was just survival mode. Yeah. You know, it was just survival mode. Mm. I think just the reality is there was a lot of issues and just being a new mom and not having a lot of support and her family's not here although our family is here we didn't want to lean on them my mom's going through chemo maybe this is another experience that i just kind of tried to forget because it, yeah, it was really so difficult mm. but yeah we were just in survival mode yep. and at that time with the business too i was like we had no idea how we were going to do it the construction was taking a lot longer than it needed to because we you know, we just we're piecemealing it together. Mm -hmm. But yeah, survival mode, man. Yeah. I feel like we're still in it. Still in it, right? Yeah, still in. Um, I think what's interesting about Han Oak, though, is one thing you mentioned was that you weren't trying to win any awards. You weren't trying to be validated by these outside validators. And that's, in fact, what ended up happening, 
right? Like, yeah, folks they, started to come. Folks yeah. started to write about it. You had uh, Kanye West there for dinners. You've had a lot of people there for dinners that that wasn't your intention. How do you feel about that? You know, it's exciting. It's exciting for us and, you know, for the staff, too. I mean, I struggle a lot with a lot of stuff. Mm. Identity and, like, you know, how I'm presenting this cuisine that I was also rediscovering myself. And, you know, I think it's nice for me to just be able to know that, like, a lot of that came not just from the food itself. Because, like, I had imposter syndrome, like, you know, anybody might. But I, I recognize that it's the space that's so unique and it's the experience that's so unique. Mm. And the food, if it's good, will take it over the edge. But like, it is the idea that people are walking off the street kind of having a hard time finding it. And then like experiencing this like sense of discovery of like some secret hideout. Yeah. <laughs> but I was also running away from a lot of you know, the identity stuff and also kind of naturally felt like I was hiding. It was a hideout because it was a safe space for me. Like I wanted to do things that like made me happy Mm -hmm. and made, you know, brought balance to my life. Yeah, I kind of shut a lot of people and things out Mm. and the space allowed me to do that. And I'm a private person. So like letting people in uh, to my space, especially a space that we lived in was really hard. But yeah, once we started like making lists and like, you know, critics would come and then they would want to talk to us about the story. And I just kept pushing like the story of, you know, the experience more than the food. I just still kept still trying kept. to pamper the pressure and, yeah. the, and the expectations a lot. Mm. I still think I do that, you know? You have to do what's best for protecting your energy, yeah. right? Like yeah, yeah, you yeah. still want to be able to show up and not feel like, you can't show up. Yeah. Right. But there would be like really silly dishes that I would just have fun doing. Like we do a pudechige where I cut the little hot dogs into like a little octopus. And so when you like put it in hot water, you know, it comes out as a tentacle. And then like a, you know, a three Michelin star chef comes into town because his family's here and he's like sitting there. And I'm like, shit, is this guy going to order the pudechige with the <laughs> octo dog? Like what the hell? Please don't. And then he like orders it. And yeah. I'm like, Oh, God, no. <laughs> I have the nightmare of, like, you know, chefs of that caliber coming in and going, who is this numbnuts doing this thing? <laughs> I have to, yeah, there's a lot I have to, there's a lot I have to just. decide to do, and that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Han Oak's been running for years now, and then pandemic hits, and uh, you decide that y'all are going to open another restaurant. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, (laughs) so March comes along and it's very real, but thankfully we were able to do well enough that we saved some money to put a down payment on a house, which was a huge step. But it was a week before that state mandated shutdown that Sun and I went to uh, the office to sign our papers to to get the house. And on the way we were like, I said to her, I was like, hey, um, what if this like COVID thing is real? And she had been keeping track of it for months mm-hmm. or for weeks at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a good friend of ours, Gary. Uh, he's like this world traveler foodie. And Gary he, the foodie. <laughs> Gary the foodie was like, we keep joking with him that he's like patient zero because everywhere he went and would leave, there would be an outbreak. Oh <laughs> he was like in Shanghai. He was like traveling in China, then went to like Italy right before their big outbreak. But... <laughs> But anyways, uh, so she had been kind of keeping an eye on it and was like, this thing is happening, this thing is happening. And then like a week before, we're like going to sign the papers. I'm like, okay, this thing is happening. Like, do we go buy a house right now? Like, what if we have to close a restaurant? She's like, we're like, nah, let's do it. And we're like high-fived and like went in and took (laughs) selfies. Um, But yeah, we moved into this house right at the time. So yeah, it was scary. Yeah. We closed. We were fortunate to be able to have some money in the bank to like pay a few weeks wages out, paid a bunch of sick payout, just like put a bunch of money in our staff's pockets thinking it would only be a couple weeks. Thinking it'd be a little bit. 
Yeah. And then like, you know, we were like, okay, we're dedicating to paying for health insurance for those who have it. So like we can do that. Then we were like getting everybody on unemployment, trying to help guide them through that. Yeah. And then it was survival mode until like, you know, through all of that, the first six, nine months anyways, everybody was plenty happy, not working and getting unemployment. Yeah. And so like, and I didn't feel comfortable asking anybody to come back. Come back yeah. If they deny the job, do they get kicked out of off of unemployment? Then there was like all these like PPP loans coming out. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of like managing a lot of that. But yeah. again, going back into survival mode, I felt pretty like, although it was different, I felt pretty kind of comfortable going, okay, well, we got to just keep trucking on every day. We got to like figure out what to do and figure it out. Figure it out. But um, yeah, we did that through... The first six, nine months, then unemployment was starting to run out for people. And I was like, okay, what should we do for mm. those who want to come back? Yeah. Like, here's some options. Like, let's not do dine-in. Let's do takeaway. And mm-hmm. so, like, we started off with a takeaway menu. And then our landlord at Toki, the downtown spot, reached out and was like, hey, this is coming available. I can give you a, a deal to get you, yeah. you know, on your feet. And there's a kitchen and everything already in Everything's there. Everything's in there. <laughs> like, you don't have to pay any key money or anything. Hmm. Just an opportunity. Yeah. And so the idea for me was that Hanok was at, on a trajectory to being just a full-service restaurant. Yeah. And we've, Sun anyways, has always sort of fought that and really loved it being a creative space. Mm-hmm. And of course, I fight for it being a restaurant because that's, I'm just, I only see what's like right see. in front yeah. of me. And so there was a lot of, Fighting over that? Yeah. A lot of fighting over that. <laughs> but ultimately, she's right, mm-hmm. right? Because it is. it is. It's an amazing creative space. Yeah. And if we can look at it now, so now how I look at it is if it can be like a restaurant incubator in some mm. way where we can like help somebody who may be in a similar situation, let's say a chef and their wife and a tiny baby. Yeah. Like, could they potentially like do a residency for three months or six months or whatever it is, can we not help get them over that first hurdle, which is like just the startup costs of a restaurant? Could it be a space that we just a gathering space for other kinds of events? So, you know, that's where we're at now. I feel like, you know, if that was a test subject, right? Mm -hmm. That like we do this takeaway menu, pick it up and then like drop it at a new location and then like, get that team working and developing and and give them opportunity as well. Like I'm, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how to like bring our longtime GM Austin Mm. and our chef Scotty to like be a partner in it in ways that like, you know, will benefit all the hard work they put into it. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it it seemed like an unnatural thing to do in that time to like do a new space, But but we were given an opportunity that was, you know, a lot less risky. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, sometimes that's how it happens, right? You kind of respond to what's in front of what's in the moment. It's very much to how you, you operate. And so, yeah. like, in, when you think about it in totality, it's like, that makes total sense. Yeah. Reflecting on your journey and how things have been going, how you spoke a little bit about how um, this vision for helping other, you know, startup chefs, entrepreneurs, given the landscape of this, you know, Today, uh, what advice would you have for folks that are like, I wanna, I think I wanna be a chef. I think I wanna start a restaurant. What advice would you have reflecting <laughs> on your your journey? <laughs> I feel like I give conflicting advice. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I give conflicting ideas and advice all the time. Mm-hmm. There are some people I definitely push, mm-hmm. and I go, "You're ready. Mm-hmm. You don't think you're ready. You're ready." We had two people that have worked for me for a long time and they just always sort of have been around. But, you know, I just like, I'm like, you're ready. Go do it. Go push. Um, and then there's people that just shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're just not, there are people that aren't built for it. Yeah. It, it takes gotta, a certain yeah, cause, type of person. Because it's got to be like for me, you know, I think there's been like ups and downs in how how much we do and how little we do, but like failure is never an option mm. and you have to have that mentality. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're just not gonna survive. Yeah. Um, so if you're gonna go for it, give everything you got and failure is not an option in your mind, I encourage everyone to do their own thing. 
that was Peter Cho, chef and owner of restaurants Han Oak and Toki. Find out more about Peter and get access to all of our episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to rate and review us. Stay up to date on our latest news through following us on Instagram at Stories, or you can reach out with a message at hello at claimastories.com. Our show this week is produced by BJ Fergozo, Pervy Patel, Natalie Yazzie, Jericho Trim, and the team over at DB Podcasts. Original music provided by Adrian Anaya and vocals provided by Rosella. Special thanks to Jordan Dinwiddie, Cena Clark, Clint Blaine, and Damian Mitchell. I'm Bima, and you've been listening to the Claim of Stories podcast, powered by Vista. <laughs>